Well, good morning. Hope you're uh, having a good Sunday so far. Uh, before we get started, kind of want to apologize for this half of my face. Um, some of you uh, have already talked to. I uh, got in a fight with some uh, chips while I was sawing some wood yesterday, and uh, one of them cheap shotted me in the eye. So I spent most of last night with a, a speck of dust in my eye, and I was telling everybody to just disregard what Jesus says. I don't care what plank is in your own eye. Get the speck out of mine. Um, <laughs> But I think it came out this morning, so now this side is just kind of swollen and droopy, and I can't see really well. So if I'm not looking up at you all today, please don't take it personally. Uh, the, the quick movements of my head kind of blurs everything, so I may kind of focus right here today, but I'm still talking to you all today. Uh, my, I had them, um, I, but I had a face mask on, and it was fogging them up, and I thought between the two, I'd rather not breathe in all the stuff because I did that a few weeks ago and then couldn't talk on a Sunday morning. And thought, well, that was between the two. Probably my voice is a little more important than my sight when I come in on a Sunday morning. So, uh, hey, we're glad that you're here. If you're visiting with us, um, we are, are happy that you're here with us. Um, we're just a group of people here at Redwood who are trying to become more like Jesus. And we try a little bit more every day. We try to uh, become more like him in all ways of our life. And to start off 2018... Uh, we have, have, have started this series called Generous, and, and our, our hope is that as we get into this year, this 2018, that we could all find in our lives a, a way to become a little bit more generous uh, from our own hearts. And I know so many people in this church are already uh, very generous, but this is just a way maybe to take that a step further. So last week, uh, we, we kicked this series off by looking at what it means to be generous and said, we are made in the image of God. And God at his very core is a loving, generous God. In fact, we used uh, the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. And, and because of that, we again, we're made in his image. At our core, we have kind of this generous, uh, loving nature. So last week, we talked about kind of what it means to be an, an owner, to have ownership, and how, you know, according to, to scripture, according to, to some other writers, everything belongs to God to begin with. He's just kind of given it to us to manage. Uh, so today, as we step into this, this second uh, part of this series, uh, and, and if you missed last week's, I would encourage you, get on our website and listen, find our podcast and listen, grab a CD, because uh, this series is just going to build, kind of each week leads into the next. And so today, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. We're going to talk about tithing. I'm just going to go ahead and get it out there. If you're visiting, if you're a visitor, uh, this may not apply to you. I'm, I'm going to talk to those who are here as regulars, who are members. Um, if you're visiting and you're normally attending another church, then this applies to you at that church. Uh, but if you're here kind of trying Jesus on for size, if you're here trying to decide if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to become uh, a, a member of the church, uh, you kind of get to sit back and watch everybody else in the room squirm a little bit for the next 30 or 40 minutes. So, um, but what my hope is, as we get into this today, I, I want to kind of make this clear. I am not going to sit here today and try to guilt you into anything. I'm not going to sit up here today and try to, to, to pull a fast one on you on anything. And I'm not going to sit up here today and try to tell you, you should give because you're going to get all this great stuff in return. I'm not taking any of those approaches. I don't agree with any of those approaches. What I want to do is kind of look at a, a spot in the Bible and, and kind of explore what it has to say. Because my hope is that whether you're a longtime Christian, you're a longtime member of this church or, or, or a church, 
or this is your first time in a church, my hope is you kind of see the heart behind tithing, the purpose, why we do it, and why we should. And to do that, we're going to look in a little bit of an obscure part of the Bible, the book of Malachi. So if you've got a Bible, find Malachi. It's the very last book in your Old Testament. Um, and as you're turning there, I'm going to kind of set this up a little bit and kind of explain the importance of this. Malachi is a very short book. It's only four chapters long. Most Bibles, it's two or three pages. You can read it in about five minutes if you just sit and read straight through it. Malachi is, is a prophet, so this is God speaking through him. But what's interesting about this is this is the final book, uh, most scholars agree, uh, in the Old Testament, written sometime uh, probably around the year 500, maybe a little bit later, uh, 400 or so uh, B.C. And after this book is written, God goes silent for 400 years. God doesn't speak to anyone for 400 years. And so you get into uh, the Gospels, and he speaks to a man by the name of Zechariah, who's going to become the father of John the Baptist, and then just a few months later speaks to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So God goes silent for 400 years. So given that, when this is the last thing he says before he goes silent, we need to look and see how important this is, because he's probably going to leave it on something pretty important. But Malachi, as you look into this, Malachi has four main themes throughout the entire book, and we're going to kind of look at two of those themes today. The first theme that we're going to look at is basically a reminder that God is going to hold his people accountable. And so if you're a child of God, if you're a member of a church, if you call yourself a Christian, God is reminding us that he will hold us accountable. That's part of it. Another reminder is the opposite of that, a reminder that God will honor his people for their faithfulness. So you've kind of got those two themes that are gonna, you're going to see throughout today. And, and Malachi is kind of cool in its composition because as God speaks through the prophet, he basically asks the people 27 questions. And we're going to look at three of them to kind of highlight what we're wanting to talk about today. So before we get into that, you can go ahead and, if you've got a Bible, maybe put your finger there, but flip back to the beginning to Genesis chapter 14. Or if you've got a phone, go there. <clears throat> Because what I want to do before we get into this is kind of show you where the, the concept of tithing came from. Uh, and so we're going to kind of establish that. If, if this is a whole new concept to you, you may be like, I've never heard of tithing. What is this? Uh, tithing is another name we give for offerings or giving or, or you could call them donations, whatever. But it's got a little bit more than just giving attached to it. So Genesis 14 is the first place we see this, and we see Abraham, kind of the father of the faith. At this point, he's known as Abram. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17, he's just returned from from a victorious battle uh, when he was up against some big odds, and God brought him through it. So here's what it says, Genesis 14, starting in verse 17. It says, after Abram returned from defeating uh, Kedolamor and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And there it is. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now later on, several hundred years later, Moses will put this into the Jewish law. When he's giving the commandments, giving the law, he puts this in. This is a regulation and a rule the Jews had to give 10% to God. As you get into the New Testament, it's kind of weird because it's never just explicitly commanded in the New Testament. Jesus talks about it. 
he's talking to the disciples and he says, I know you guys tithe. So he brings it up and mentions how important it is kind of in context, but you have to be looking for it in a way to find that. So that to kind of set it all up. What I want to do today is kind of answer the questions, why do we tithe and why should we? And, and again, going back to Malachi, I want to look at these three questions and, and, and kind of see where, where we can go from there. You might notice in your, your notes, I kind of did it a little different this week. We put some questions there. And I'm not necessarily going to give you the answers to these questions because I might answer them one way, you might answer them a different way. But that's what I'm, I'm hoping we can kind of see today is, as you look through those, maybe you answer those later. Maybe that's not today. Maybe you think about it for a, a few days. But these are questions that I think are very important to ask ourselves. So as we jump into this, we're going to jump into Malachi chapter 1. First question is this, has God blessed you? Has God blessed you? Now, most people in this room are probably going to say yes. Some people, maybe not. But here's what I want to do. Ask this question, has God blessed you? Let's look at the text. Malachi chapter 1, starting in verse 2. God says this, I have loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. Okay, we'll pause it right there, a little context. Uh, If you've been with us for a while, you might remember back a couple of months ago, we did this series uh, called Crazy Normal. We were talking about families and family dysfunction, and we talked about these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Uh, If you you missed it, the, the short answer to it is this. These are two brothers who were the epitome of sibling rivalry. They took it to a level never seen I shouldn't say never seen before, but that most people don't. Not quite Cain and Abel far, but they took it pretty far. They were fighting. They were twins. They were fighting in their mother's womb over who could come out first. And then they fought and competed over everything throughout their entire lives. They eventually split and went in opposite directions. Each of them actually founded a nation. Their descendants founded a nation. Jacob's descendants became Israel, the Jews. This is who this letter is being written to now centuries later is the Jews, Jacob's descendants. And at this point in their lives, they have been exiled, forced into another country, and put into captivity. And and this is actually context for a lot of the prophets in the Old Testament. You may think back to uh, to Jeremiah 29, 11, that famous verse, uh, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, and they're plans to help you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That was written to these same people. These are people right now in a very dark place. They don't have hope. They don't have a future because they are surrounded by basically captivity. And, and so we read that and think, oh, it's a, it's a good promise for God giving us a future. But it was written to people who at that point had nothing. They had no hope, no future. So when God tells them this here back in Malachi, I have loved you, he says, but you ask, how do you love me? See, here's the problem. Sometimes it's easy to be like they are, to look around at your current surroundings and say, God, how could you love me if you let all of this happen? And that's kind of what's going on with them. They're in a society that is completely godless, uh, the, the, the godless culture. Uh, the culture is doing everything except what God wants them to do. Their kind of political ruling leaders are, are godless, doing everything except what God wants them to do. Uh, it, it's just hopeless because it all looks and feels godless. Uh, I wish we had something that would help us understand that for us today, but, I mean, we don't, I guess, here in, here in the United States in 2018. That was funnier in my head. <clears throat> thanks, thanks for the pity laugh. <clears throat> I'm not above pity laughs, by the way. It is. <laughs> Too often we find ourselves in a similar situation, right? 
we see what's going on right around us, and that seems hopeless. And when it seems hopeless, sometimes we wonder, God, how could you really love me if you allow this to be going on? And that's where the Israelites are uh, in this moment. We look at what we have when it comes to blessings. We look at what we have, and I think we put that in comparison to what maybe others have, or what we want, or what we think that we need. And we think, God, if you were really blessing me, I would have this. But too often, I know for myself anyway, I have to take a step back sometimes. When I catch myself in that, that mode, I, I have to take a step back and say, what do I have that others would love to have? What do I have that others would die to have? Because I have a lot that others would love to have, and sometimes I lose sight of that. What God's wanting us to do here is to quit looking through the windshield or the side windows sometimes and start looking in the rearview mirror. Because sometimes God wants us to look back and see where he has brought us as opposed to where we're going. And with the Israelites, he's saying, look back at Jacob. He was your father. He was the one who, who built this nation. Look what I did for him. Look what I've, I've been with you guys ever since. I, I don't need a show of, of hands here this morning, Gretchen, but um, <laughs> she missed that in first service. <laughs> Put your hand. I don't need a show of hands here this morning, but here's, here's a question for you guys. How many of you rode here in a car this morning? How many of you have had to skip meals in recent weeks? How many of you have had to go without clothing unless somebody's given it to you? Hey, let's get a little more, little more personal. How many of you guys have a Bible here with you today? How many of you guys, your Bible's on one of these here today? Okay, now, here's the thing. I know some of you might have answered no to some of those questions. I get that. Because we, we all have different levels of, of, of kind of what we have and, and don't have. But I guess my question is how many of those things do you have that we take for granted? Because too often, I know that's, that's me. I take a lot of what I have for granted, and I have to step back and look through that rearview mirror to see it. And when I do that, it makes me kind of ask a follow-up question. Why has God blessed me? If I come back and answer yes to that first question, I have to answer it. Why has he blessed me? Look at verse 5. He says, Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. Malachi is challenging them to look beyond what they can see. Remember, what, what can they see? Captivity, hopelessness. But he's challenging them to look beyond that. And too often, I think we look at our, our current surroundings as the boundaries of, of where our blessings might be. And we're, we need to be reminded, I think, more often of our purpose in life. You've heard me say this, I think one of the missions the church should have comes from John chapter 20 when Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Why was he sent? One of those reasons in John 10 was to give life and give it to the full. And if we are to give life to the full to others, what that means is we put our blessings to work for others. And too often, I think we just hold on to them. And so what I, what I challenge myself to do, what I want to challenge you all to do is occasionally stop and, and look back. Do an inventory of where God has blessed you. Because if he has blessed you, and I know this is the case for some, some folks, if he's blessed you beyond what you need, it's not your needs he has in mind. Okay, and I have to remind myself of that. I'm, I'm one who likes to collect and gather, and occasionally I've got to stop and say, no, this isn't right. I need to start helping others in the process. So if he's blessed you beyond what you need, it's not your blessings that he has in mind, but maybe it's some others. Or it's not your needs, I'm sorry, that he has in mind, but some others. I think God blesses us, not so that we can just sit back and enjoy and live in kind of indulgence, but so that we can make an impact to others. So here's another follow-up question to this. How have you blessed God? 
How have you blessed God? Uh, Look in verse 6. He says, A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. But you say, How have we despised your name? Verse 7, he says, By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, How have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present, what, uh, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. It's kind of confusing because I'm hoping none of you guys brought a goat in here this morning to give as your offering. I'll be honest, I'm not sure what we're going to do with that. But do you ever catch yourself maybe misusing your blessings? See, the point of what Malachi is saying here is in their day, that was their offering. It was livestock. That's what they had. They didn't necessarily collect money. They traded goods and services. And they had to bring the best. God didn't want their leftovers. He wanted their best as a sign of of their dedication and faith to him. So he's saying, don't bring in a, a, a gimpy sheep to me. Bring in your best one, the spotless lamb, the one that doesn't have any flaws. And too often as Christians, I think we lose sight of the fact that we should give God our first 10%, not our leftovers. Here's, here's some numbers for you. This, this is, I'm not saying this just for any other reason than, than it exists. The average churchgoer in America, and talking to the person who calls himself a Christian, calls himself a member of a church, gives somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 to 4% of, of what they have. Part of that is because they give when they go, and a lot of people go two to three times a month. It's just kind of slid down the priority list a, a little bit. And here's kind of what Malachi is saying. You notice he goes back in there and he says, present that to your governor, kind of brings that in, into place. I know some of you guys work in the tax field. Imagine that you did my taxes and you showed me what I owed, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to pay 30% of that this year. I don't need to rest, worry about the rest of it. That's not going to end well for me, right? Uh, or imagine, let, let's put it in different terms, as a, as, a, as a worker. I mean, my job obviously is here at the church, but let's say what, whatever your job is, I say, I'm just going to do 25% of the work. Yeah, I don't need to worry about the rest of it. Or I'm, I'm only going to be a dad 15% of the time. My kids don't need that much love and attention. I'll just do it 15% of the time. Or I'm just going to give my wife 30% of my, my love and affection. And I'm selfish with all the rest. What's that make me? It makes me not a really good father or, or, or husband or worker. And if I do that with taxes, technically it makes me a criminal, I guess. But you kind of see what I'm getting at here. I think what's happening is too often we fail to recognize that God's blessings in our lives are bigger than our circumstances in our lives. And when we do that, we minimize down what he's done for us because we're not using it the way he wants us to use it. Let's look at the second question out of Malachi. It comes from chapter 2. second question is this, and if you answered no to the first one, you might answer yes to this one. Has God ignored you? Now, now bear with me, because a lot of people are shaking their heads no. Bear with me on this here. Look at, look at chapter 2. We'll start in verse 13, <clears throat> and here's what he says. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with any favor from your hands. Kind of talking about when you present an offering, and God's like, I don't want that. Verse 14, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have not been faithful, or to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. 
Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was that one God seeking? Get this, godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. I I love that he comes out here and uses marriage as an example. Because sometimes if you feel like God has ignored you, you you feel like maybe God has been distant to you. And and I love marriage. Marriage is a great example of faith. If I'm teaching kind of a class on apologetics or I'm talking about faith in general, marriage is a great example to use. And here's why. When, When Jennifer and I got married, we came that day, and many of you guys have been in this situation. We came that day, and we stood on the stage at the church, and, and I'm standing here, and she's standing here, and we made a commitment based on what? A few months of knowing each other. I had no idea what the future was going to hold. I had no idea what things were going to be like five years from now, 10 years from now, 15, 20, etc. I had no idea how she's going to respond to every situation in life. She had no idea how I would respond to every situation in life, how things might happen in our lives that kind of change who we are even. We had no idea. All we had to go on was our love to each other. So we made a commitment on faith. Faith with God works a lot the same way. When you commit to follow God, you have no idea how he's going to answer everything you ask for. Maybe you ask for something in prayer and he doesn't answer it the way you want him to answer. Or maybe he gives you a blessing that you don't consider one because you're thinking this over here is a blessing, not this little thing here. It's just he's not always going to respond the way you want him to. But that's faith. It's very similar. See, here's kind of the cool thing about faith that I think. You know who benefits the most from you having strong faith in situations when God doesn't answer the way you want? It's the people around you. People around you see your faith. They see how you respond. Uh, I remember back to when my, my grandpa passed away. My grandma was a rock. She was right there like, holy cow, I thought I had faith. Look at her. I mean, this was unexpected, and she was, and she was an anchor for all of us. She was keeping all of us together. And, and I saw her faith like I'd never seen it before in those days. Go back to marriage. Jennifer and I have a strong marriage. Who benefits the most from that? Our kids. Because they see it. They see commitment. They see love. I really hope as my kids grow up that that they see me and they see a godly husband who loves his wife and knows how to treat her. And I hope that that's a catalyst for them to find somebody as they get older. That they can find somebody who will treat them the same way. That will love them and respect them and honor them and and, and, uh, guide and protect them. And, And I hope they look at Jennifer and I hope they see what a godly wife should look like and that they grow up to be like her in that 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 way. Faith often becomes a catalyst for how other people will see things and do things. Come back to tithing. You know where I learned about tithing? Not Sunday school, not a sermon. I learned about it from my mom. My mom, from when I was an early age, gave me a quarter or a dollar or whatever it was to go put in the little buddy buckets thing we had at at, at Sunday school or in in the the children's church offering. And it might not have been 10%. I mean, I don't even know at what age I started getting an allowance, but she might have just given me a quarter or a dollar to put in there. And that was kind of that that mindset of, of you need to give to God. And I learned about the 10% thing as I got a little bit older. I don't think I really understood this, though, till I was in college. My, my first two years of college, I went to a local junior college. I was still living at home. My parents had just divorced. My mom made a change in career path, and she decided to go become a nurse, so she was actually going to college with me. That was kind of different. But my mom and I were going to college together. We're both working part-time jobs. I actually made more money than she did one of the years, and I was a, a clerk at a convenience store. But she did her budget, and she saw what she had, 
And what she was going to bring in, almost to the dollar, was exactly what she needed to pay the bills, to buy groceries, to put gas in the car. There wasn't anything left over for a tithe. Again, the generational thing. My grandpa reminded her, remember, God wants your first 10%, not your last 10%. So my mom, on faith, made this commitment. God, I don't have the money to tithe right now. But she did it anyway. She put in her first 10%. She got her check. She went ahead and wrote a check to the church and just put it on the, on the table to take the next Sunday. And here's the thing. For two years, she did that. And she was never short on money. Never once was short on money, even though we didn't have it coming in. God rewarded that faithfulness by taking what she had, and she stre- he stretched it enough to cover what we needed. My mom graduated. She was able to improve her life She's, she's now a nursing instructor at the same college. And I'm not going to tell you that you know, she's rich and she's got all of this stuff just rolling in. And all. That's, that didn't happen. But God rewarded that faithfulness by making sure she had everything that she needed. I was able to see that. And because I saw that play out in my mom's life firsthand, it made an impact in mine that I wouldn't have got otherwise. So never underestimate what your faith will do to the lives of those watching you. Never underestimate what it'll do to the lives of those around you. It'll have an amazing impact. Third question is this. Has God rejected you? Now, if you answered no to the first question, yes to the second question, this one might still be popping up there. And bear with me, because most of you say, oh, no, God's never rejected me. Sometimes it kind of feels that way because you get told no. Or you get told not yet. And that sets you back a little bit. If you feel like God's rejected you, let, let, me, let me just be, be clear with you. He has not. I, w- I want to reassure you, he has not. He tells us this throughout Scripture. And, and in Hebrews chapter 13, there's two verses that are two of my favorites in, in the entire Bible. Uh, chapter 5, the writer quotes a, a passage from Joshua when he, 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 he quotes God saying, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Three verses later, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When God seems distant, This is where we have to get really honest with ourselves and come to the realization if God seems distant, it's because we're the one who has wandered off the path. He is not. And he reminds us of that here in in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. He just says it straight up, for I, the Lord, do not change. For I, the Lord, do not change. He says, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And you may say, well, what's this have to do with tithing? He goes on. Look at verse 8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you will say, how have we robbed you? Look what he says. In your tithes and contributions. Verse 9, he says, you were cursed with a curse, for you were robbing me, the whole nation of you. In verse 10, he tells us what to do. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. Look back at verse 10 for a second here, because there's two words. I want you to underline them. If you've got a Bible, underline them, highlight them, circle. The word bring and the word test. Bring, is, 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 that's our action. That's what he wants us to do. But test is kind of the key word here because I know uh, sometimes you hear this and you think, well, we're not supposed to test God or tempt God or, or do any of this. He's telling us to. He's telling us to test him. He wants to test your faithfulness. And, and kind of here's, here's the way this works. To earn trust in somebody, you have to be able to trust them 
with what's most precious to you. Kids are a great example. You don't just send your kids to just anybody's house. You send them to somebody you can trust, right? You you want people that are going to take care of them and treat them well. Now take your family and, 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 you know, your your, your wife, your husband, your kids, your your family, your, your immediate tight circle of friends off the table. What's the most precious thing most of us have? It's our finances. Let's be honest. We have to have those to survive. You have to have money to make a house payment and buy groceries and pay your bills, et cetera. I wish we could say, you know, we don't need it. But at the core, we, we do. So it's precious to us because there's only so much you can go make to get by. And, and we love to do our certain things. Here's what God is asking you to do. He's telling you, test me. Test me out to see if I can be faithful with what's most precious to you. That's what he's ultimately doing here. Remember, go back to a week ago. We said this. God already owns it all anyway. He's just given it to us to manage, to be a steward of. So all he's asking is that we give him back 10% of what he's given to us. Here's where I kind of want to just be, be, be real with you for a minute because I'm, I'm just going to close the Bible and, and just tell this from my heart. I want to tell you why I do it, why I think it's important to tithe. This isn't because the Bible told me so. This isn't because my mom told me so. This isn't because Sunday school told me so. Here's why I tithe. There's three reasons. Number one, I tithe because it builds a stronger faith in my marriage. I honestly believe my marriage to Jennifer is stronger because we tithe. Here's why. We argue like other couples, yes. Do we have fights like other couples? Yes. I don't remember a single time we've had a fight over money. And that's usually one of the biggest catalysts for fights in a marriage. I don't remember. Do we disagree on on what we want to spend? Sure. But did we let it become a fight? No. Because we understood before we were ever even engaged, when we were just dating, God was going to get our first 10%. That was always there. Never debatable, never an option. We were going to give to God first. And I believe that's helped strengthen our marriage. Because at the core, the things that are the most important to us are our kids, our finances. Those aren't debatable. Those are God's. Number two, it allows my kids the opportunity to see my faith in action. That's the number two reason why I give. I already kind of broke this down a little bit, how it impacted my life to see what my mom did. My kids are starting to get this a little bit. Now, they don't understand the, the concept of tithing yet. You know, they're five and three, but my kids are starting to understand the concept of giving. I see it in Elsie especially. She loves to give stuff to people. She said yesterday afternoon and wrote cards to her friends. I don't know what they say. I can't read them. She knows what they say, but, but she's giving. She's giving her time. She's giving her heart. And, and I love hearing her teacher or her, her, her friends, moms, and dads say, man, I love her little heart. It's just such a heart of giving. Because she's seeing that in us, I hope. She's seeing that we, we want to give. And, and as they grow, they're going to understand this more and more. Number three reason that I give or that I tithe, I believe God wants to do something special. Now, again, I'm not saying... He's going to do something special by doubling my salary or making me rich or, or, you know, nothing like that. I think God wants to use me in ways I haven't even thought about yet. I think he wants to use me beyond what I think I'm capable of. And, and to do that, I have to trust him. I have to trust him when he tells me, hey, go over here and do this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? But if I can trust him, I'll follow and that's kind of what, what I think this breaks down into. I believe God wants to make such an amazing impact in the lives of people around me, and I don't know how he's going to do it. I'm just saying, okay, here I am. Do whatever. Use me for his glory. I, I, don't, I don't care about the glory I get. It's for him. And that's just a few reasons why. To me, tithing helps me because I can learn to trust God more. Let me show you one more thing, because I, I think this is kind of cool. 
people who tithe across America, this, this is cool, people who tithe regularly, 80% of them have no credit card debt. 48%, almost half, 48% have no mortgage payment on their home. 78% have no car payment. I can claim this one. <laughs> we have no car payment. We're trying to get there on the other two, but, but I, I can claim this one. And this one's really cool. 28% of people who tithe are completely debt-free. Now, does that mean that, that God just gave them a lump sum money to, to pay it all off? No, I don't think so. I think because they tithe, because they're able to trust God with their money, they're able to be smarter with their money. And they realize how to get by with what they have and, and start cutting out some of the things that they don't really need. So here's my challenge for you. Here's a takeaway. If you haven't tithed, if this is a new concept to you, I want to challenge you. Commit to tithing up until Easter. That's only three months. If this is a whole new concept and you're opposed to it, you don't want to do it, put God to the test for three months. Try it out. If at the end of that three months you're not convinced, maybe stretch it out three more. Go to the middle of summer. If you are tithing, this is a challenge to, to the rest of you. If you are, you have been tithing already. Maybe your challenge is for the next three or six months, up it by 1% or 2%. And, and I really want to sell this here to you. This is not so that you can give Redwood Christian Church more money. This is not what this is about. I promise you. I'm not trying to get up here and be some slick salesman at all. This is not about giving this church more money. We said this last week. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So whatever it is that you value determines what you worship. This isn't about God saying, I need your money. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. It's not about your finances. This is about faith. Will you have the faith to trust God with a little bit more in 2018 than you did last year? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the challenge that you give us and for the faith that we can have in you. And God, I, I know this is a, a difficult topic that some people don't want to hear. And, and, uh, and I was just honest with you this week, this is a, a topic that's difficult to preach on at times. So God, I, my prayer is that our hearts would just drift closer and closer to you. And that our hearts would drift into a deeper faith with you. It's not about what we have, it's about who we are. And God, I know for myself, I want to become more like you. I want to learn to trust you even more and have more and more faith in you that it would just get stronger and stronger every day. So God, my prayer today is wherever this, everyone in this room is in their faith with you, you would tell them it's okay to take that next step forward into more faith with you. And God, we're praying today that that's, that's through this mindset of, of testing you with our finances. Not so that this church can have more, but so that this group can grow more. God, we're so thankful for Jesus, and we just pray this today in his name. We love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.